Hey, everyone. This is Chris Ryan from The Ringer. As many of you have heard by now, we lost a treasured colleague and friend over the weekend. Jonathan Charks passed away on Saturday. John was 34. He leaves behind a wife and a son, and we are obviously mourning his loss and sending all of our love to his family right now. If you go to theringer.com slash Jonathan Charks, that's J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N-T-J-A-R-K-S, you will find a memorial page for John which has links to his GoFundMe that benefits his family and the amazing writing he did throughout his experience. I encourage you to go there. And if you can, please support the Charks family. Briefly, I will just say that John was among the first people that we hired to work for The Ringer. So he was instrumental in defining the voice and perspective of the site. He has as much to do with what this place is as anyone else. And throughout his experience with cancer, John communicated eloquently about the challenges he was facing, both through his writing and his podcasting. You could never stop John from talking about his passions. It's one of the things I loved about him. Over the last few months, you know, whenever we would talk, whenever I would reach out to see how he was doing, I would try to keep it very John-focused. And the next thing I knew, we would be talking about James Harden or Better Call Saul. He really loved this stuff. Uh, he loved talking about it, celebrating it, debating it, illuminating it. We're going to keep putting out our pods and writing while we grieve but we wanted to let folks know that John was in our hearts and that his family was in our thoughts. Thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, View its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me on the other line, he knows something of the hour of the owl. It's Andy Greenwald. The hour of the owl. Why don't you just say 3 a.m.? I don't know. Do you think that they have regular time in Westeros? Do you think they, they just break out the Audemar and they're just like, oh, it's 1.30. It's time for a feast. What I'm curious about is that the Let's assume that it's just a colloquial place, right? Like, yeah. you know, the, the, the spirit of poetry burns bright within the houses of the dragons. <laughs> sure. No evidence of that yet, but at least in terms of the timekeeping. I just feel like that would be challenging because every region would have its own yeah. hour. Like, for us, we'd be like, ah, Chris, well met. It is the hour of Wawa. You know, and then we would all eat hoagies. We know that would mean dinner time, right? Or lunchtime. Or in Los Angeles, it would be like, good morrow, Andy. It is Ooh. the... It's the first of nine traffic jams of the day. Ah, yes, yes. It is the hour of the hellscape between 8 a.m. and 6 p.m. Um, you know, Andy, today we're going to talk a little bit, a lot, about House of the Dragon episode four, The King of the Narrow Sea. We'll chat a little bit about episode three of Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power. And I like to think of these shows now, this mm -hmm. this first show of the week is 
it's me getting to to chat with my old friend Bastion from Neverending Story. You know, you're just just a a bibliophile. You're just like sitting there, and you got your big yeah. book of fantasy and and high adventure stories. And it's what I always dreamed of for you. I'm hiding from the bullies upstairs at school. You know, I'm impressed that you got to make the first. Uh, beloved 80s film reference, because I was going to say this episode of House of the Dragon is the one that finally turned all of America into Principal Rooney from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. <laughs> so just that's being like, how they do things in that family. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so that's how it is. Okay. Got it. Uh, okay. So we got, you know, a, 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 probably our weekly dose of incest uh, in this episode of HOTD. I mean, the week is young. The week <laughs> is true. young, Chris, but please go on. That's yes. True. Um, what did you think of the episode? Well, I, I'm of two minds. I'm of two minds about the episode. You know, first of all, longtime listeners of this podcast and whatever form it takes know that all I want from a Game of Thrones show is a walk through a night market. You know, that's what I want. I want, yeah. and, and I. it was a joke, but it's also not a joke because it is precisely the kind of specificity and world building that I think shows need, particularly shows that have felt so claustrophobic as House of the Dragon has felt. So I, I appreciated that aspect of the show. I was glad to spend time with the, at least as much as the Game of Thrones universe in its current form seems interested in the emotional, uh, you know, uh, mechanisms of these characters. I was appreciating that. Perhaps a little frustrated with where it ended up. But, mm-hmm. you know, there are individual performances and things that I liked quite a bit. And, you know, I don't know if I ever said this on camera. Because you are pu- shipping Damon and Rhaenyra so hard and you're so Always. frustrated with those guys having more obstacles. Always. Cool uncles is just like, that's just, you know, it's just a, at least this is, there's some things that the show has done where I'm like, what are you teaching me about the human condition? And then right. there's things like the, the, niece and uncle relationship where I'm like, thank you. I have learned too much about the human condition. I will go back to my crab farm. Um, I guess what I want to start with with this episode was appreciation uh, that we finally got to see brought to the screen King's Landing's famous circus district. Now, we've seen the spice markets. We've seen the whorehouses. You know, we've seen the sewer system. Pleasure houses, by series. the way. I don't think they're referred to as whorehouses. Brothels sorry, or pleasure houses. Yeah. That is out of date, and I acknowledge that, and I apologize. <laughs> okay. Pleasure houses. Um, a pleasure house for me, an old bookstore. But, you know, <laughs> we age out of certain... Uh, in the, you know, we, we spend our hours of the owl differently as we get older. But, you know, the, the famous circus district, we've, Mallory and Jason used to talk about it all the time, Right. That there's a certain lane you can walk down is this in a King's bit, Landing. They really, is this a no. well, well-known uh-huh. district of King's right? Landing? Do we know? You kind of believe me, right? I'm absolutely bullshitting. Yeah. But you kind of believe me that if you took a left, you leave the castle, you take a left, right? And when you see the fire breather, you keep going. They got, they got, it, it, I wish that there was a Stefan for this, you know? There's old Zoltar machines. There's, there's jugglers. It's great. I think you spent a lot of time in the circus district of Copenhagen, right? You know, I, I did, but only at the hour of the owl. They actually there, they call it the hour of the fermented squash. <laughs> right. And it's delicious. You mentioned the home that largely is the setting for this this episode. Yes. Uh, and I think that 
we didn't really get a chance to talk about episode three that much, Greg, directed by Greg Titanis, but I, I talked a little bit about this with Mallory and Joanna. And I mentioned how I felt like my senses come alive as mm. these characters moved outdoors to their like their woodsy sort of celebration of Aegon's name day and having this pop-up restaurant, you know, in the middle of the forest run by the Lannisters. It like champagnes being handed out as they walk in. There's the hunt. There's like different color schemes going on in terms of the, the they, lighting and everything. They, play, they played boar on the floor. They did. But that was like, I think that that really taught me something about one of my reactions to the show, which is a show that I like a lot, but I'm having like a little bit of like clock watching when it comes to, this is an episode, no set pieces, no escape from the castle really, except for Rhaenyra's run down this night to this night market of pleasures. And, and it looks like raw horse meat that she ate. What was, what was the sort of. Dish and then, buddy, why Trader go to a, Joe's offer like like samples Chris, that why, they had? Why go to a night market when you can just have night at home? That's right. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's right. And you know, I don't remember ever having this reaction to Cersei's Cersei's castle in Game of Thrones or Joffrey's or whatever whoever you want to say that it was theirs. But I, I I'm having it in this show where I'm like, huh, like just feel like we've been in these rooms a lot, especially the the small council room, which I guess we were also, that also was the case for Game of Thrones, but there was enough fireworks happening outside outside well, of that room that it felt like balance. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, look, he, he, here's the thing. We, and we will talk about the, the, you know, the positives of which I think there were, there were a number of them. I think the performances continue to be carrying the show almost more than anything else. But I would, I would point to the scene when Rhaenyra returns from her sojourns mm. and her, 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 Uncle wanderings and uh, seduces her dude, Sir. Yeah. Uh, what's his name, Sir? Sir Kristen. Sir Kristen. And Millie Alcock, who's been delivering a great performance, suddenly comes alive and is allowed to play different keys on the acting keyboard, mm-hmm. and is playful and is flirtatious and is just sort of, I'll say it alive, lively, and it was really fun. And it was fun, not just because I got the sense that the actor was enjoying the experience, but that it was a different, just a different tone that we've seen in the show thus far. And it was so, so, so welcome. And it was just making me think that this might be a little bit uh, pessimistic, but the the volume, and when I say the volume again, it's the, it's the Mandalorian wall, you know, that is being used by more and more productions to enhance, but also streamline the CGI. Yeah. Not to make too big a deal about it metaphorically, but what it does is it gives you the illusion of depth. And I'm starting to worry that that is actually a metaphor you could wrap around this generation of CGI IP shows. Because this episode, you know, was on the high seas, and then it was in a teeming market, and it did travel outside of the rooms of power more than the first two did, Mm -hmm. right? The last two episodes have done that. But it didn't, actually give us any specificity in those places. They were in the ocean, and Sir Kristen's like, we're going to be home a month early. It's like, okay, well, we were just in a room, and now we're going to be on a boat, and then we're going to be back in the old room. I think that that's then, supposed to be one it, of their like time jump mechanisms, but yeah, I know what you sure. mean. Sure, but now when you go out into the world, there's just like writhing bodies that are visual, adults-only, you know, uh, 
analogies for an option or a road not taken. There's no person representing that. There's no character yeah. who's just like, I live here and it's cool. You don't have to live in the castle yeah, or that, you could make yeah, a different that, choice. That's Steve. <laughs> yeah, hey, look Steve at Steve. Steve comes well, here every night. <laughs> Steve's busy right now. Steve's got his hands full. But do you know, do you know what I'm saying here? And yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I am struggling with that because the feeling of the show thus far it's hard to escape that these are merely well-performed and well-drawn placeholders in a historical recreation, in a historical meaning, a fictional history based on George R. R. Martin's world. I have yet to find the show's purpose in terms of these specific people, what makes them interesting and unique, and why I am invested in them. You know, the the show— seems to be using its genre as a little bit of a hedge to say that, to, to, to quote-unquote teach us things or reveal things that actually don't seem that surprising after, you know, 10-plus years of Thrones, but also 40-plus years of human experience, such yeah, as know, about the role of women or what marriage could be used for or, you know, a lot of effort to get to those places. I, I'm going to talk about the the incest sex scene or near sex scene for a second here. And it's funny that like that to me was one of the more thrilling parts of the show, even though I feel disgusting for saying that because the psychology of the characters before, during and after that sequence was pretty, Mm -hmm. there was a lot of ambiguity. It was like, are they super into each other is she into him and he's using her why can't he perform like was she then so turned on that she immediately went back to the guy that she does or maybe doesn't want to be with like i you know there was all this sort of like it was almost like what if brian de palma made game of thrones for 15 minutes there and i don't think that that's sustainable and i don't think that that would be palatable to a mass audience like people aren't there for that necessarily they're there for dragons and they're there for epic storytelling but that was one of the first times where I was like, ooh, this is kind of like almost flying without the radar on at this point. Like, I have no idea like where this is going here. And also like kind of like within the sort of realm of this show, how are you supposed to feel about obviously something that's incredibly taboo and, and you know, all that. But like within this show, I'm like, is this is this is this all like all good? Like, are we supposed to be like rooting for Damon and Rhaenyra here? Like, well, I don't. He, he, well, here's. I think that's a great point, and I agree with you. Like, there are moments in the show when it goes not just off the the map of what we're expecting, but maybe off the map of of decency and what we all should be seeing. And I I kind of applaud it for continuing Game of Thrones. You know, great history of being super gnarl. Um, but I I continue to think that it's kind of a um. You know, this is an analogy we've used before, but when you make a show, you lay down your stakes of your fence. And like, Mm -hmm. this is the patch that the show is going to exist in. And that's often a more complicated decision than it may seem. Um, And I continue to think that maybe this show has framed things slightly incorrectly for the larger audience than the George R. R. Martin obsessives. Do you remember the great John Mulaney bit that he did after Trump was elected, which was called Horse in the Hospital? Where he was like, the thing about the Trump presidency is not that this is a weird, insane lunatic who is now president. It's that there is a horse in a hospital running wild. And we don't know what to do because the horse is in the hospital. The Targaryens being the rulers of this world is kind of like 
a horse in the hospital, but the show is told from the perspective of the horses who are like, we live in this hospital and it's great. And we can go in all the rooms because we're horses. <laughs> There's only a small, small sideways reference in this episode to the Targaryens' curious history about boffing their relatives. Yeah, Damon's like, we, this is totally actually within the realm of like, of accepted Targaryen behavior. When we got down on street level in, um, what's, that, what's it called again? Flea Bottom. Yeah. I assume that's where they are. Uh, well, uh, the, yeah, sure. No, I'm sorry. They were in the theater district. Forgive me. <laughs> it was like, but it was more off Broadway. It was like a little bit like La Mama down in the village. Um, when you get down there, I kind of was hoping that the, uh, that the, the Punch and Judy show that would be put on would be less about the people being like, we don't want a lady king, which has been, you know, yeah. we, we get that. Historically, yeah. I, I kind Hostile of wish female leadership. Yeah. I'd like to know a little bit more about how they feel about these lunatic Aryan Targaryens with their dragons, you right. know, like who I guess sleep with each other a lot or at least plausibly consider marrying their daughters to their newborn sons. Right. Like that's perverse and weird and seems like flawed. And I would, I, I just miss that perspective on the world. And, well, it, and it is, I'll just keep saying, it's a Tyrion thing, right? You, like, I just want a Tyrion. Yeah, and then I think also, like, at least right now, the choice to focus on three or four characters in depth rather than nine across the board. And I think that this is actually, Mal and I talked a little bit about this with the Lord of the Rings show. But the thing that I actually enjoy about Rings of Power is that, like, if you don't like this, if you're not like yes. vibing with this part, guess what? In three minutes, they're going to a whole other part. It, it, it's like the weather in San Francisco. Exactly. Bring a sweater or throw it in the trash. Who cares? You know, like <laughs> it's just like it's going to you're going to need both. And also and, all those guys have hairy feet. Right. Like it, it's, it's actually very much like San Francisco. Go on. But when you go to like when you watch Game of Thrones and let's say you find the Cersei Jamie relationship stomach turning, even though that show very wisely in retrospect kept those two apart for a majority of the series. But let's say that's like, you know, you, you watch the first episode and you get straight up incest between twins. That's that would that was like a, a like a real like cold water splash when you first and you shipped it, by the way. Well, here's the thing. First of all, they allowed those two people to be incredibly charismatic with one another. <laughs> look look at Chris on his back foot. He's already got his talking points. No, my point is, is that then the other side of it was Prince Charming. Rob was still in this show. You know what I mean? Right. Like they had like all these other, this v wide variety of characters. And as the show went along, you got to see, oh, this person is as morally corruptible as this person who I thought was bad, you know, and like the Tyrion arc and the Rob arc and the John arc and the Danny arc and Jamie and Cersei and everybody else winds up starting to kind of draw. It's not just like it's it's like a, one of the tapestries that they try to get Damon to go look at. It's like it needs to be widescreen. And I hope I hope we're going there. Well, I, I think that you're making the right point, but I also think that our critiques are more broad than just about this show. This is actually a conversation about the state of IP television, as it often is. When you make a cup of tea with mm. a tea bag, it is fantastic. It is full of the flavor of the tea. Then maybe later you want more tea. You were like, maybe I can get a little more flavor out of this bag. Going to be a little bit weaker. Mm -hmm. You know, it is inevitably the case when you keep going back to the same source material, it is not going to be as good as the first time or as full flavor. Guy? No, but I've been in Europe recently, so I'm trying on some new affectations. I would also say 
that it's an issue of um, the the difference between a show mm-hmm. and uh, an expanded universe. Game of Thrones, both in terms of its storytelling scope, but also what it could do in terms of establishing a beachhead for an entire universe and world and type of storytelling and brand, it could be all of the stories. There's an intentional pivot now, because there are going to be more of them, for each of these shows to be more specialized and tell a story. So it cannot, just by nature, be as expansive um, or as all-inclusive as a Game of Thrones was. And that's something that we're seeing in the Star Wars universe as well, repeatedly. I think the next piece of that puzzle is also budgetary. Now, this is the number one priority for HBO Max Discoveries as Live Incorporated, of course, and it is returning on the investment. Sure. They are not skimping on this show. No. But it is still a business, and there was a dragon in this episode. Brief, but there was a dragon that bumped into a boat on a CGI ocean. Yeah. That's costs amortized or whatever over a season. That's why you don't have Arya and the Hound. You know what I mean? Like, that's why you don't have four sets in five countries. Well, it is. I, I, I'm trying it to also pati- makes it easier for them. I, I'm trying to be patient. You know, like, I think that there is a school of thought. There is, like, a, a, a sort of discourse out there that, like, a lot of what we're seeing in these first few episodes yeah. would, in another show, or if it was a film, be the voiceover preamble, you know? And that we're getting a lot of history before we inevitably get, and I don't think this is a spoiler because it's been so well documented, this time jump where we sw- the cast changes, you know, and where we get different version- versions of Allison and uh, Rhaenyra. Yeah. And so when that happens, I do wonder whether the show then locks into what it is. And I assume, uh, the way things are going, that there will be a schism soon that separates these characters and forces this show to be outside of just five people walk like snooping on one another in a castle. Yeah, I just, I think that, it, and, and, I, and I know I got to let go of this because this is, not, this is not an argument I'm going to win. This is an argument that's settled. And the success of the shows, you know, proves it in the open and free marketplace. You know, shout out to the Iron Bank. I don't really like shows that are previously ons for six episodes. I don't really appreciate shows that, feel they need to like lay historical groundwork before they get to the show that they might be or want to be or that might be better. Like it, it doesn't really work for me, honestly. And we haven't even done the time jump yet, to your point. Like I, we know, and I don't think this is a spoiler, that other actors are coming to play these yeah. parts that we're going to be telling other parts of their lives, I would, I would guess, soon. But what does that do for our relationship to these, this version of them if it's all preamble? You know, it, it it does keep you at a remove. And I and again, we, and I mean this sincerely, I think that the people working on this show, whether it's Ryan Condal, Miguel Sapochnik, who was his co-showrunner for this season and who has, has removed himself from the future seasons, they are doling this out in ways that are just just inarguably successful. Mm-hmm. You know, the episodes are are paced well. The and entertaining. set piece yeah. and entertaining. Yeah. The set pieces when they come are welcome. And, you know, it actually, I know there actually was a, a group of, you know, a large segment of the fandom that almost enjoyed doing Game of Thrones as a second screen thing because you could just constantly be like learning the history while you were watching or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think this show is very, very well paced to avoid a second screen thing. 
because you're never quite sure what's going to happen next, and there's always a little bit of violence or sex or intrigue. It's well done. It's well it's well argued. But I think that I am a little. I wish I cared. I guess is that is that maybe that's a simple. That's the, the more simple way to put it. You know? I think that there's. I mean, you know, I, I'm trying to. Rem- I, I was pretty instantly smitten with Game of Thrones once I started watching it, which was there yes. was a little bit of a delay before I started watching it because I think I had some skepticism for the genre and just being like, do I want to do I want to watch something like that? That's because we pranked you and told you there were hobbits in it. Do you think that there's like an issue maybe with the the variety of characters that we're seeing. Like I was thinking about why we keep getting these scenes of guys sitting at that table and being like, well, here's, here's the sort of chessboard that we're looking at. And here's who Rhaenyra needs to marry to like offset the losses that we would experience if this happens, or maybe we just need to swallow it. And Rhaenyra needs to marry Corliss's son again, you know, like all the stuff that they're kind of doing. And, you know, the show goes into a completely different gear anytime Matt Smith's on the screen, but because he keeps getting, ostracized from the kingdom he's only in it like i would say 20 percent, 30 percent of the time so you're kind of leaving out the most electric performance and electric character that you've got but he's so volatile that i understand you know damon can't just be there all the time being like yeah i'll take a fourth wife and why don't we just do this and i'm gonna do that he's not he he has made his polyamory clear on all of his social media profiles you know what i mean (laughs) like he is not just here to make friends i get it but he's not doing great. Like, h- how many years has he been like, you know, I, I could take a second wife. Also, like, I want to see w- what's the what's the first wife's deal. He's not. First of all, yeah. Talk about slander. I mean, if she is going to be the new Vera from Cheers. Has she just been in Highgarden for like six years just being like, I, he said he was going to be away for a week. This is She's what? in Mar-a-Lago, isn't yeah. she? Isn't that where, isn't that his keep? She, he's, uh, she's not in Dragonstone. She's oh she's not there. Where Rosario is she? Rosario was in Dragonstone, and then she seems to have bounced, and now is back in King's Landing, and was like re- like rehabbing Damon. I had and a then real was like, Get the fuck out. I had a really serious question about that. So did she just was she just like I'm going to get an apartment in the city? Was that like a pied a terre for her? I'm going to ask Mal and Joe when we record, but like I could not, I did not understand that. I didn't understand. They had that breakup scene, I guess, sort of where she was just like, "You put a target on my back because you said I'm pregnant, but I'm not." But I didn't understand that that was a breakup scene because then I guess he spent three more years hunting, you know, Crab fresh feet. crustaceans. Well, maybe that's why she left. She was just like, you have, you're too into your work. Have you asked Mallory? Mallory's from Baltimore. Have you talked to her about <laughs> crab cakes? Extensively. That's yeah. come up? Okay, good. Yeah. Um, can you imagine? Like, I want to see the spice market, but I want to see the old bay vendor who's right. just like, for three years, had the best market bubble. You know what I mean? When like crabs were really, really popular. Yeah. And then suddenly... The bottom fell out. This show, uh, well, you know what I'm getting at, and I, I think this show needs a north. This show needs what's the other part of the world? You know, like this, sh- like right now, we're all in King's Landing. We're all in the small council room. Everybody's a general well, or a politician. They all chat with each other about like what should or shouldn't be done. The difference is, is that in the original show, there was a whole other part, two other parts. There was the Danny plot, and there was the Starks plot outside of King's Landing. But also, there were two, potentially more, I might not be counting them correctly, absolutely existential threats that were going to, we understood on a you know granular level, even before we knew what the world was, going to touch all of these disparate things. So winter was coming. I mean, mm-hmm. in the Game of Thrones pilot, 
it begins with the White Walkers before then we get into the rest of the world and then they, you know, then the dire wolves and everything else. So that was the marker laid down that this was going to be the story eventually and it was going to be major. We, we would, you know, they'd be unspooling it slowly. And then the season ended with, wait, there might be dragons too? Right. So in this world, the threats are, I guess, Corliss is big mad still? No, like I mean, I, I, think that, I think that they're, tr- yeah, well, so... I think this show will ultimately about be about a Targaryen civil war, right? Like there isn't this. I, I think that that is where we go. And and please, you know, I'm not trying to be falsely stupid about this. I think that this is more about a family at the head of power of this realm tearing itself apart. M- maybe. And maybe. then there is also now this added wrinkle of a Targaryen inheritance that is the knowledge of the prince who was promised and that they are like somehow guardians of this knowledge that one day we're going to need to have a king, a prince yeah. who comes along to defend the world against this unnamed evil, right? Which yeah, is what we that, see in Game of Thrones. That's just pretty, that's pretty weak mead to me because that's the business of the seven seasons of the other show, you know? So that's just punting punting it to then. I, I just continue to wish we had a little more, if it's going to be about the Targaryens, like let's, let's get into it. You know, I, I, I th- there are some dynamics here. How much more here. into it can we get though? <laughs> well, well <laughs> I, I, mean, I, I guess let's, let's get some perspective on it. Right. A little bit outside reflecting perspective. But if we're going to stay internal within the castle walls, this episode did something that I think was overdue, but I wish it went further. Like I, 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 I and this is a first season stuff too, right? Like the dials aren't, always correct on the big mixing board uh, behind the scenes. Like you figure out the show as you're making it and as you're watching it and as people are watching it. And and so there's no reason to think some of these things can't be tweaked and adjusted. But the scene between Allison and Rhaenyra, where it's just like, I kind of wish you were still my friend. Like, let's yes and that. And the reason we're not friends is because you're sleeping with my dad and right. gave birth to my usurper brother. Right. Like, let's talk about it. Let's go a step further in how deeply fucked up and weird this is among the six people who live in this big house. You know what I mean? Like, I wish that there's like, no room for you that. were like a mandolin player in that courtyard mm. and you could just slide right into that scene and be like, <laughs> we're not talking about what's really in between the two of you right now, guys. I don't think I'm a mandolin player. I'm like the the family therapist in the first season of Succession who breaks Dr. his face Strauss. in the hot tub. You're Dr. Or I'm Dr. Strauss. Strauss from The Patient. I am definitely chained yeah. down in the crypts. And you're like, uh, Viserys, I, I just don't think that we can really engage in therapy while I'm chained. What? And he's <laughs> like, Bailon's oh, <laughs> but I brought a Dornish curry for you today. Yeah, right. Uh, I am definitely into that mashup. It's... So, okay, but let's let's do power rankings here. Because, again, we are in the weeds of the show, which remains kind of a marvel in terms of its production quality and its scope. And, again, its professionalism at being Game of Thrones. Like, it's so hard. And yeah. so when, when I pick nits about the character motivations or the, you know, particular, like, M.C. Escher-esque couplings that we glimpse in the pleasure houses... I, I don't want to give short shrift to the hundreds of people who are making this happen. You're like, not. It's, it, we're just it's having crazy. a conversation. It's okay. No, no, I yeah. know. But, but I also do think that in the spirit of like, we, I think when we talk about shows, we try to talk about them like, you know, uh, 
360. We talk about all the aspects of them and including their place in the marketplace or whatever. Like it's wild that they are delivering on this Mm -hmm. to the degree that they are. This is unquestionably Game of Thrones, even if they hadn't just bogarted the theme music to lull us into submission at the start of every hour. It helps. But it helps. Yeah. Um, But what are your, Chris Ryan, Game of Thrones superfan, podcaster extraordinaire, what's your power rankings of people? Is Damon your number one in terms of who's the character that I'm interested in? He is coming out of the Eastern Conference as the definitive number one seed. I just think that he's like, obviously a piece of shit, but is kind of the most interesting person that's been on one of these shows in a while, you know? And I think that, you know, Game of Thrones like kind of sanded down their characters over the years. And I think a lot of the main characters with the exception of, of Cersei and a few others were sort of directed towards being pretty good guys, you know, like, especially in that last season where it was like, you're either on this side or that side. And uh, he has got like that old school, amazing combination of Jamie, Tyrion, little, little finger, you know, just that kind of like, not only bad boy, but also like, what do you want? You know, because that's the, the most interesting thing about the Targaryens is that, and I, I thought about this watching my second favorite character, who's which is Otto. Yes. Where I'm like, what's the what's the goal here? Is it sustained and uninterrupted shadow power? Is it being the grandfather of the king? You know, who, which is what you would be if if Aegon had been named. Uh, is it? you know, seeing Viserys, Viserys deposed and having Alicent be queen with you be basically being the puppet master, like all these things. And I, I find like those sort of like questions to be really interesting facing those characters third. And I would say probably in a real world, I would say in certain episodes, second is Rhaenyra. I do think that Billy Alcock's doing a great job. I think that it's uh, a challenging role to, how old is she supposed to be? 17? Like what? I think I think she's up to 16, 17 now. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think it's, I think she's doing a great job and I think Rhaenyra is obviously like a fascinating character. Um, I think that the restrictions placed on women in the world that she is in restrict her character a little bit. Yeah, I agree. And, and I, I, I guess it would, it would be curious. I'd be curious to see if there was an era that they could have chosen in this completely made up, timeline where maybe it was different you know maybe there was a time where it was more matriarchal or where there was more and i'm not trying to like make it game of woke i'm just like we know we get it we understand the restrictions placed on these powerful ambitious smart capable women and you're not really teaching us lessons anymore you're just sort of circling it and i i think my other (laughs) chris thank you for your positive uh, explanation. Let me add one more criticism to the pot. I didn't mean to be as negative, but I just, there's some things that I, I'm finding frustrating. And I love the character of Otto because I love Reese Fons. And I just think he's such a, such a powerful actor that his presence changes the gravity of the scenes that he's in. But I also think the character thus far is not necessarily worthy of his gravity and intelligence because his plan is, I'm going to send my daughter to the king and then I'm mm-hmm. just going to hang out. Littlefinger is a great example because Littlefinger was absolutely devious, but also brilliant and scheming and good at chess. So he was a few moves ahead. He also had... You're going to say the same thing I was going to say. He was in love with Cat Stark. Bang. 
That's exactly the thing. So he had a part of his character, an essential part of his character, that was deeply human and vulnerable. It was you know? irrational. Like everything exactly. that the Candidate King or any exactly. all these political actors are always doing things that are like so considered and manipulative, but he had this one one weakness. Yes. Was that he still thought that he could get with this woman that he was in love with from his childhood, even though she was married to Ned and then eventually his widow and then eventually the mother of the King of the North. So it was like, dude, it's not going to happen. But he let that govern so many of his decisions. Yeah, and I would love a character on this show to have one, one, one piece like that. You know, just add one more Lego brick to the construction here. And we are wrapping our arms around Damon because his passions are so strong and the performance is so great. And he, he, he runs counter to everyone else, which just makes him naturally more charismatic and interesting. But even if you strip that down, I don't know what motivates him yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, being super into your niece maybe is an interesting <laughs> and unique motivation. I, I can't comment. But is it just power? Is it just being the second son? What he says to Viserys is, I want to marry Rhaenyra and what is he like? He essentially is like purify the Targaryen bloodline and like, re- yes. like return to the like sort of terrifying power that this family is capable of. Because Viserys doesn't ride dragons. Viserys is literally falling to pieces. Viserys is, you know, well liked, but kind of ineffectual. He gets dominated by the people on his small council more often than not. And I think that Damon is like, we keep it. We keep it inside the family in all senses of the word, and nobody can fuck with us because, as I just proved with the crab feeder, if push comes to shove, I'm just going to get on this dragon and like and regulate. Yeah, I agree. I think it, you know, like with everything with the show, it comes down to the Targaryens, and if that's what the show is about, and if that is the the furnace that is powering it, okay. But let's like make sure we have the right perspective on it, and we're invested in it, and it's as interesting as it could be because power for the sake of power, like rooting for the Targaryens to stay king because they've been king, kind of not only runs counter to dramatic interest and audience interest, it runs counter to George Martin's entire project, at least as far as I understood it. You know, and so again, it's just a question of where you lay down your stakes. And with a show as well-funded and as successful and potentially as nimble in terms of chronology and history as this, this is all fixable and may in fact already have been fixed. As you said, this may just be prologue that will hang over everything. Yeah, in and an we'll be like, remember how so, those first six episodes were like this? And yeah, but this is also, you know, I I should say, like, this is also to have conversations like this is why we choose to watch these shows week to week. Like, mm-hmm. we could have watched the first six, I think, and we chose not to because I think it's more interesting to be to be in it to be, yeah. you know, to put on our stinking robes and <laughs> pretend to be page boys and uh, hook up with family members. Kaya, strike that last part. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? 
To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, Get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. So should we should we touch rings a little bit before we I get do out want here? to touch these rings. Um, so the third episode came out last night. It was the first one uh, that wasn't directed by J.A. Bayona. And I... I thought while I noticed there were some differences in the filmmaking, I didn't think that it was a huge drop off at all. Um, and no, I, think I, 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 I just want to say Wayne Yip, great yeah. director. I thought he did a great job. And I thought I like, I basically, I think I realized one of the things that's really like sort of energizing about watching what is essentially a, like with all due respect, like a pretty corny show in terms of like, it's a, it's a Lord of the Rings show. So it's like very, very, high fantasy and it's also like the the characters I think are very sincere for the most part and very you know you know there's Harfoots and elves and stuff so it's not like I'm not going to it to like draw comparisons to contemporary society or anything like that like which is totally fine this show moves very fast though like there's not only like does it cut between these two these multiple storylines that they're telling and they've introduced I think quite deftly but there is a lot of movement and action within the scenes. The the Harfoots are on the road. Mm-hmm. Like the elves are always running from one place to another to sort of investigate this rising threat. And speaking of that rising threat, you know, you made a really good point about like, well, in Thrones, from the second it started, there was this danger in it that we were trying to figure out. And then by the end of the first season, there's the dragons. And then multiple seasons in, you have this prophecy that we're trying to figure out. I think that honestly, like, the like what is happening with these tunnels and these orcs and this Adar guy, like I, while I, and I know what that is, it's like a good motivating darkness that's creeping on the edges of this show. 
So I think that your your mileage may vary on some of the like the, some of the dialogue or or whatever. But like I'm enjoying the velocity of the show. I guess is what I should say. Yeah, I think it, and the velocity shows up in different ways too because the show is absolutely doing world building, and I didn't know. I'm going to be honest with you guys about Numenor. Is that right? <laughs> The, like the, the the chill island where yeah. people are just like no, yeah, we're gre- we're great. we're Greece now, and honeymooners not welcome. Um, but there wasn't that much backstory to it, right? Like it, it, there's there's some there's some dialogue between with with Galadriel explaining like oh this is what this place is, but we're just there. And it has a little bit of that the eel doctoro like. I went into the bathroom and Teddy Roosevelt was there, like historical fiction vibe where he, he held Dr. Isildur. Wow. Isildur is like literally like the most important person <laughs> other than Frodo, you know, and like the whole fucking like history of the world there. Is that true? It, yeah. I don't know. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> that's chill. I mean, guys, this is our first time really talking about this show. And just so you know, I texted Chris last night and I was like, yo, orcs can talk. Did did not did not know that. I was like, oh, this is like when they went from slow zombies to fast zombies because now these guys talk like they're. Did it, let's let's they're make cocky. another. Yeah. I was like, are they just EM Forster side characters that teach the main characters about how they should hold on to their steady sinecures and jobs in the in the clerk's office? Right. No, uh, they're just they're just Cockney dudes with bad skin. I, I wonder didn't know that. what it is. I don't know anything about this. I because I would love to know. I'm sure that there's in some like appendix an explanation for why they don't like the sun but they're not vampires right yeah no chris i mean they're a little bit like you and your wife right like they're Uh, just like we could be out here this weekend but we choose not to be no 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 no. don't don't besmirch me i tan very well i just don't tan well on the pacific side i like your body no i find that the sun on the west coast okay either doesn't work or burns me but when I go to the East Coast, I, I look like Don Johnson in 1984. <laughs> it's true. My legs still look good from my trip to Maine. I, can we just, can we do an extra podcast today, Kaya? <laughs> because I, we have to end this one soon, but I have a lot to talk about. Wait, do you, um, I mean, do you actually not think that there's a difference between the way the sun feels on the West Coast and the East Coast? Is that just me? Well, I, I think that the way that it appears in the sky in terms of its vengeance and w- at what times is quite different. Like you can burn here when it's cloudy, yeah. you know, in a different way, or it could just pop out and be like, hello, I have reduced you to ash. <laughs> but broadly speaking, no, I think it's, I think it's the same fire orb. Okay. Um, but, you know, I think the orcs, we should, do, the, we should do the Panama Jack challenge where we, okay. we put on like zero like SPF that. tanning oil <laughs> at the very same time on separate coasts and see who gets more, more tan. It's rewatchable sexy beast, yeah. but it's just, we're just <laughs> recreating it. Um, I, I want to know what the SPF of those orc rags are because they don't seem, they seem effective enough. Right. That's my point. Um, okay, so no, I had no idea that any of these people are important or what the hell's going on. And I'm okay with that. You know, it, 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 the show, I actually do think I'm a good test case for this because when the show is moving, I respond to it. Yes. You know, when it does 
things that, again, I'm watching these shows in tandem, as is at some to, to a degree, the world. So I think it is impossible not to compare them. But I really, maybe maybe more so than I ought to if I was watching it alone, but moments of friendship or connection, like when Gladriel goes to the old library law offices or whatever, and it's like, yeah. these scrolls are interesting. And they're like, the we'd like the to help you, elf. War. Yeah. Or, you know, when the stranger is like, we're friends now. Like, he's like the Hulk. He's like, we friends. Like, I'm like, that's so nice that you live in a fictional fantasy universe where you could be friends. That's part of life too. That's nice. Game of Thrones doesn't have any of that. So I appreciate that. Okay. I think, I think that that's being well done. You know, I, I, at times the, I think this show is also still figuring out how to tell these stories in a modern way. And, you know, I am not going to fall into the trap of like, are we sure we still want to be telling these stories right. 60, 70 years on? I don't know how much meat is left on these bones. Regardless of that argument, which is a dead end, I was struck by how when the Cockney orcs slit the elf's throat, the elf was like, oh, I retire to my bedchamber and expire. Which I was like, oh, I guess this is a show for kids where like uh-huh. no blood comes out of the jugular vein. Minutes later, in the same scene, Hallbrand my main busts yes. the dude's skull open and the blood flies onto the camera lens, saving Private Ryan style. Yeah, my main elf dude is like, let me take your arm. Let me now just change. Let me just Lawrence Taylor it. That like guy's in, not el- he's not an elf. Who's, who's not an elf? Hallbrand. He's a, he's a dude. I thought the dude who does the arm breaking is our main elf guy. No, he's a guy. He breaks that guy's arm who... Like, he's not an elf. He's just who's the traveling. Elf? Chris? <laughs> <laughs> who's the elf that's our POV elf? In the, in the elf the lady. Mind? No, the dude. The dude who's in love with the human from Homeland. Who's the prisoner? Who's from Homeland? The woman who makes the tinctures. She was on Homeland. She was good. But I'm not talking about her. She She's the human who lives in the town. She has an illicit thing with the elf ranger. Oh, her, right? Bronwyn. Yeah, her. Right, for sure. She, yeah, but what's that the elf's guy, name? Oh, uh, Aaron Deer. We sure? <laughs> I You're think making so. The, you are a hundred percent. No, that dude's in prison. The Pacific Sun. That guy is basically in the raid too. That guy who does like all the violence on the orcs and stuff. Yes. Yeah. The one who's like, I will cut down the tree, yes. but I will whisper an apology to it. Yes. Like that Francis guy. Malman cooking. Meat. I thought you were talking about the dude in Nuremore who's like, I am now going to break this guy's oh. arm against a oh. wall. Oh, I mixed it up. Yeah, that's when that happened. Yes. I'm sorry. So yeah. I was the source of confusion there. The orcs were just sort of like chained to death. Yes. Broadly. Yes. The other arm. What's the human's name? Hallbrand. Cool. That's that's actually a pretty dope name. I would I choose wish, that. Name. I wish my name was Hallbrand. I'm super into that. Yeah. Um, right. So it, just in terms of like, where is this story pitched, right? Like the people aren't really, they don't make jokes. They don't have subtext. And yet sometimes they could snap people's bodies like twigs. It's finding its way. It's yeah. finding its way. But I, one thing that I appreciated, I, I must say, is that in the set piece at the end, the sort of the jailbreak that doesn't really go great, I liked that the fighting was elevated in a sort of like Hong Kong action movie kind of way that felt elevated in the same way the genre storytelling is elevated. Like, let's mm-hmm. make this kind of, is there a, maybe there's a word in German for it. Like, let's make all of this look like it should be on a tapestry. I kind of liked the way that was sort of kicked up out of reality into that space. I enjoyed that scene a 
lot. I I, I did want to note that the uh, uh, wolf pig that yeah. is loosed upon them was the first evidence I've seen that maybe some of the CGI houses were busy making She-Hulk twerk that week. Like it was real Harryhausen, which I was into, I but was I don't too. think it was supposed to be. You know what I mean? Like that. It, this prior to that in this episode, I was like, Amazon just locked down the houses. The real houses. It's really not about uniting you know, the houses. I was Game thinking about sense. this the other day because like CGI has been good. You know, when when they're pulling into Neuromore and it's like, I got to admit, like at first I was like, this looks like a magic eye poster. And then it like the more you went into it, I was like, yes. Damn, they got some good statues up in here. Like they got I, like, I, I'm really interested in like, what, what's the vibe in, in this spot? Because it seems incredibly clean. Yeah, you know, like... <laughs> I felt the same way. But, 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 but also, like, they did do detail. It kept going. Where I was like, oh, they thought about this. This would be really funny is if one of these shows that they're like, we're going to spend $250 million on this first season or whatever, they, like, hired, like, Werner Herzog to do it. And he was like, I must make everything practical effects yes. and build the city of Normo from my from the ground up. And like basically like bankrupted Amazon because <laughs> he built half a statue. It was like I I finished. Yeah, my work here. My is labors done. my labors have finished. Um our I weren't enough dwarves in this episode for me though. I know, you're, but I think you're gonna get them next week. They were in the they were in the coming attractions during back. <laughs> During the other back. question, the other question I had uh, was, "What's the guy's name? Hallbrand? Yeah, that's so cool. Will you just call me that just to try it out? Yeah, maybe sure. like next I'll time we go. I'll out. change your name in my phone to that. <laughs> that would be and great. then I'll change the picture that comes up when you when you call me to that dude. <laughs> like, great, you'll pick up all the time. You'll be so excited. My only thing with that guy is, you know, he's a guest there. He's, uh-huh. You know, he's just he's just he's just hanging out." He's like the first, it's like the Meiji restoration in Japan. Like they were like, nobody comes in. And then one guy gets let in and he goes right to the tavern. And suddenly he's just throwing coin around. Suddenly he's flashing money. And so, so I yeah. asked you, does does just everyone accept the euro? Like, does he just happen to I think have he the got right? A, I think he got a per diem. You know what I mean? Like, I think when they were like, because right. there is a weird thing where they're like, you're not our prisoners, but you can't leave. Does he and, have to keep his receipts? <sighs> I don't know. Like, I don't know what, maybe there's like an internal program, like a, like a, you know, like a workplace kind of software that he eventually has to upload those things. I'm not sure. Oh God, those things can be such a drag. Yeah. Do you think they have staplers there? That would be funny if he was like, hold on, let me just take a picture of this before we go. (laughs) Um, Wait, also, can we just talk one moment? Have you ever made the same face that Galadriel made when the guy was like, would you like to ride a horse? No. I've never been that happy in my life. I would I would love to be that happy once. Yeah. I don't have anything else for us today. Uh we were produced by Kaya McMullen. We'll be back next Sunday. I think that that uh nerd out Sunday nights. We gotta work with the us. Yeah. What do you th- well maybe Kaya can as a as a passive six sided die Sundays. Uh, there's something to be done here. That's good. What but we're gonna be back before then. Are, 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 is this well, how you're we'll telling me that, that no. is Hall co hosting with you? <laughs> <laughs> that was a savage way to do it. Well, he broke my arm, you know? <laughs> Andy, it was great seeing you. Have a great weekend, or I guess your weekend's over because it's Sunday night. Have a great week, and I'll see you on Thursday. When people are listening to this, they've already seen the Eagles game. So they're very curious if they're Dude, happy or not for us. We got to let that dog out of the cage. <laughs> That's what Nick Sirianni said. Turn my music <laughs> up.
Was he talking about the wolf pig? Is that what it looks like? <laughs> no, it's like a little bit misshapen. Or captain. All right, man. Talk to you soon. Bye. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.